On this week's show, it's our annual homebrew hack show where we take all of your input and emails and tell us about your coolest tip or trick or piece of equipment that is going to make your brew day easier. It's our final show of the year, and I invite you to stick around for our annual homebrew hack show this week on Homebrewing DIY. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing, gadgets, contraptions, and parts. This show covers it all. On this week's show, it's our annual homebrew hack show, where we're going to talk about all of your tips and tricks or that piece of equipment that is makes your brew day easier. These are user or listener submitted requests. And so I'm excited to read those with Aaron Bandler, who is joining me for the show. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week. I'd like to also point out that it is the end of the year. It's the end of 2020. It's the final day. It is New Year's Eve. And I want to thank everyone who has supported and listened to this show over the year of 2020. I think that as far as the homebrewing hobby goes, it's been a crazy year. It's just been a crazy year in general. And glad to see 2021 ushered in and what it will bring. And hopefully what it will bring for all of us in the homebrew world this year is actually having the ability to go to homebrew club meetings again in person, homebrew con, and all of the great events that happen around homebrewing. I'm hoping they all return this year in 2021. It would make me very, very, very happy. Another way to support the show is to head on over to coffee. That's coffee.com, ko-fi.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. You can give a one-time support versus monthly. And also, if you write us a review, if you head over to podchaser.com or if you're on Apple Podcasts, just scroll to the bottom of your app and leave us a five-star review. The last way to support the show is head over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and use our sponsor links. Thank you to all of those in the month of December that did their Christmas shopping at Adventures in Homebrewing or bought a brew in a bag or a, a brew bag from brewinabag.com. And also, we are now have affiliate agreements with the Kegco. So if you're looking for a high-end kegerator for your house, I, I would highly recommend checking out Kegco. They're really, really cool. Well, other than that, I, I think we're going to just jump right into the Homebrew Hack Show. It's going to be a, a long one, so let's just get going. And we will skip feedback at the end of the show and just head right into the next year. So I have Aaron Bandler joining me, and we're going to read all of your Homebrew Hacks. Well, let's just jump into our homebrew hack show. So just a quick overview of what this show is, is basically we do this show every year. It's the last show of the year. And this year happens to be on New Year's Eve. So kind of cool that it's landing on the last day of the year. 
But what this show is and consists of is really just you, you, my listeners and people that we talk to on all of our social media channels, telling us what your cool tip or trick or that piece of equipment you have that really makes a cool shortcut for your homebrew day. And that's what we're going to do. And so we're going to spend the next however long it takes us to get through these. We're going to read these so that maybe you could learn something and kind of discuss what we think of them as well. So we'll, we'll, we, we've got some emailed, we got some from social media, and between those two, I think we'll have plenty for the show. So sound good to you, Aaron? Sounds great. Awesome. So I guess let's just jump right into our first hack. I, I'll start, and we're going to get our first one from Eric Cumming. And this one's via email. And he said, hi, Coulter. My one hacky thing that I've put together is using a weldless bulkhead and a cheap fitting for my brew hardware to put a gas ball lock on my on a gas ball lock port fermenter on my fermenter. It makes an easy blow off and it also is easy to push CO2 from my fermenter to to the keg to purge it. Also, I can use it to transfer from my fermenter to my keg and do it without oxygen. So and he actually sent me cool pictures here where he's got it, it's a it's a kettle lid and it, it's a stainless steel kettle lid or fermenter lid that he has here. And he actually has drilled a hole in the top right in the center of it. And he's got a, a ball lock valve on top of it. This is something that I, I've done with my plastic fermenter back in the day. Also something I currently do. But since I ferment in kegs now, it's kind of built in. But the idea is you're getting the same thing. Obviously, I think his fermenter is larger than my five-gallon keg. I think he's probably got a seven or ten-gallon fermenter here. And so, you know, adding a ball lock port, I think, is always a great hack when it comes to wanting to do oxygen-free transfers, have an easy blow-off tube, just like he said. And also, I, I think that it's it's a great thing to have when it comes to just, you know, not have not dealing with airlocks. I I'm not a big fan of airlocks in general. So I think that having a blow off tube is just a better way to go. Uh, I'm with you there. And actually I, I did almost the exact same thing first with my bucket fermenter lids. And then once I up- upgraded to the stainless steel brew buckets, I did it with that, but yeah, same thing. I, I will say one of the things that I found is that, um, the stainless steel buckets and the plastic buckets, they don't hold pressure nearly like a keg does. So if you're doing that, make sure that you're using a spigot at the bottom of the vessel, whether it's the bucket or the stainless, because you're not going to be able to get enough pressure to push your liquid up through a floating dip tube or like a or a stainless dip tube or anything like that. So uh, it totally works as long as you're relying mostly on gravity to do the actual transfer of wort. I, I couldn't agree more. And specifically, if you're doing things like hazy IPAs in, in a setup like that, you're going to struggle with that spigot clogging and you're not going to be able to get enough pressure to kind of push the hops through either. And so that that's actually a problem I had with my old plastic fermenter that I had put a a ball lock valve in, in the top of. I actually struggled to get hazy IPAs out, which is the beer you totally want to have oxygen free. Right. And <laughs> so that, that kind of, that's why I pushed over to kegs and I have been using kegs. And just as a matter of fact, we put, 
pushed over a hazy IPA in your garage today. I just, I like, you know, I just wish kegs were like, came in a seven gallon version. They do. You can actually get 10 gallon kegs. You can get corny kegs that are 10 gallons. I know you can get 10. I want like a seven gallon keg though. (laughs) Yeah, that would be nice. I I think they, I know they come in like one gallon, 2.5 gallon, five gallons and 10 gallons. But I think a 7.5 gallon would be nice actually. But, yeah. Well, all right. Well, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. That's uh, I, um, I agree with that. I've switched over all of my, uh, all of my fermenters to ball lock style blow off things as well. So I'm with, um, was that from Eric that we just heard that? From? Yeah, that was Eric coming. And thank you very much for submitting your homebrew hack. Uh, w- what's the next one that you're, you're going to read off? Okay. So the next one here is from Fred Coleman, whose handle is at blind brew guy. And he sent us some pictures of his setup here that he looks like he built. Um, and at first I thought it looked like a beer brewing guillotine type of contraption. Um, it's basically a wooden frame that he's built, uh, over a platform and he can kind of, it's like his Batman utility belt of his home brewing setup here. It's got uh, a thing for everything. So Fred writes here, um, he says, okay, here's a picture of the brew stand I built during lockdown this spring. Yeah, I feel ya. It's built from wood. I didn't have access to metal or a welder. It's made my brew day more convenient and it cost less than $20. He had a lot of wood on hand, I guess. The stand that the burner sits on is built high enough so that the wart gravity flows from the ball valve on the kettle to the fermenter. So he doesn't have to use any pumps or siphons. can just gravity transfer kettle to fermenter. Uh, And then there's an upright crossbar. Which he uses to lift the other equipment for that. And there's a pulley, uh, ratcheting pulley. I use one of those as well. Those are great. Um, so they can lift it out and hold, maintain tension on the line. Hooks to hang the uh, brewing stations. Oh, and then he also adds that he added a grain milling station to this as well. Yeah, one thing that I would say that I like about Fred's setup is the the, the ability to have that kind of setup where it's portable, but you able to still lift the bag out. Yeah. I, I right now because I'm doing things. I'm using a electric all-in-one electric brew system. I'm doing. You know, I'm brewing a lot more indoors. I don't really have a setup to like lift my bag out. I am brewing smaller batches, so it is a little easier. But there's still some like I have to hold the bag until it kind of drains away, and then I'm moving it over to a bucket and then squeezing my bag over a bucket so I don't make a mess. But the idea yeah, it definitely that- adds, I think for having a, trying to have a portable outdoor system, you, I mean, I mean, I'm looking at the pictures. I'm not sure if you'll post these on your website, but it looks like Fred lives somewhere very warm where he has mostly uh, palm trees and things like that. So he um, doesn't have, it's not even like he can brew it under a tree and hang the bag from a tree or something like that. He's, he needs to have somewhere to hang his bag. So. Yeah, fortunately I, for me, I, I I brew underneath my patio. I have a I have a second story deck, so that's where I brew under. That's where I hang my bag from. But definitely, like that's the only place that I'm brewing right now is because that's where I can hang the bag. Yeah, and and so for me, and and you're brewing bigger batches, right? You're brewing like ten gallons, and so to just manhandle and lift that much grain is impossible. You couldn't even do oh, it. Oh yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. I don't. So, I can't even do it without a two to one pulley on a ten gallon batch. Yeah, exactly. And so for me, where I'm max lifting out 15 pounds of grain, and then when it's wet down, it's probably twice that. 
it's still less than 50 pounds I'm pulling yeah. out of there. You're probably looking at hundreds of pounds coming out of there. Yeah. So this, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Fred's setup and I wonder, it looks, so he he says that it's surprisingly lightweight and that's cool. And so I'm, I'm wondering, it looks, doesn't look like there are any wheels on this thing. I was picturing kind of like, I was picturing it like a brew cart, like roll it out of the garage, out onto the patio, but it looks like it's according to Fred, it's light enough that he can, I guess, lift it and move it out to where he needs to, but it looks pretty slick. Yeah, it does look pretty slick. I will throw wheels on it because I'm lazy, but. Yeah, same here. Same here. I would totally throw wheels on it. But I will say if you sent pictures, I will post pictures from your your different hacks onto the show notes on the website homebrewingdiy.beer. So if you want to see what we're talking about here with Fred set up, just head over to the website. You can check it out. Uh, I've got the next one. It's from Gabe, Gabe Weiss. And this is a long one. So we're in for a long one. So, okay. Uh, and he even says, there's a lot of stuff here, so don't. I won't be offended if you don't share it all, but thanks as always for the great show. I'm a dad with young kids, and time is a premium. I've gone to a 30 to 40 minute mash. Wait, did, does that sound familiar to anybody who's recording sounds, this episode? Yeah, right totally now? sounds familiar to me. <laughs> Almost no boil, no chill. Add the grain when the water gets to about 135. Leave it in the in, until the wort gets to be 170. And then you get 10 to 15 minutes of more efficient mash time uh, for free. Bring the wort to a boil, turn it off, add hops, and then hop burst. Calculate as much as 20 minutes for IBUs. Wait two hours for the wort to drop to 170. Add whirlpool hops and stir if you want. Wait for an hour for everything to settle down and transfer to the fermenter. It will still still be hot enough to heat and sanitize and stay because that's around 140. Leave it overnight to chill and then add yeast. This is a, a, a this is also great with a stainless steel fermenter. It saves hours of active time on my brew day. That was my question: was does it does this actually? I'm I'm does it actually save time not to chill your wort? But according to Gabe here, it does. I might mean, look if you do it. I believe you, but I, it's. I, I've heard of styles like this, and I call this brewing method the sourdough method. And the reason yeah. is, is that this is very much like the same process as like baking a loaf of sourdough bread, right? You do it like does, a little bit, and then you wait a while, and then you come back later, and you do a little bit exactly. More. But you're not yeah. actively brewing, right? You're yeah. not having, yeah. the, you're not spending a lot of time standing over a boiling That's pot. That's true. For it doesn't six take all straight. your focus for hours at a time. I see. That's exactly. Saves, saves hours of active time on brew day. So it's still exactly. a, it's still a brew day, but it's like he can he can do a thing and then go pay attention to what you know the more important things in life for yeah. some time. You know, you've got wife, you got kids, you got things to do. I I don't know if 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 his home life is like mine, but there's schedules with children. There is things that you need to do and need to be there and obviously, you know, you you also need to spend quality time with your wife and your and your in your children. That's just part yeah. of life. And so, it is hard for me to, you know, take an entire four to six hours out of my day and have it be solely focused on brewing. And so I think that these are all great things that you can do. I can say that when we've looked at, and obviously from reading things like Brewlosophy, uh, their entire short and shoddy series, if you look at things like uh, other podcasts out there that have talked about doing these types of shortcuts, as long as you have good sanitation, I think that 
there should be no problems with doing a lot of this stuff and still being able to make good quality beer. Yeah, is this, totally. Is I mean, this what I would sense. do if I was making a competition beer? Absolutely not. I would then go to much more strict processes and more focus. But if we're talking house beer that I'm going to have laying around and, uh, you know, uh, a nice pale ale, hell yeah, I, w- I would totally do all these things. And yeah, well, so I'm, I'm reading again through his explanation. So he says, bring it to a boil and turn it off, add hops, and then, uh, you know, calculate it as if it was a 20-minute addition, but you're actually letting it, you're, it's basically a two-hour hop stand is really what he's describing here. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that, make, and that makes sense because... I, I understand he's trying to figure out IBUs. I, I'm not the biggest fan of IBUs. I Don't get me wrong. Your brewing software pumps them out and all that stuff. And you do want to know how bitter things are going to be. But in the end, it's not really something I totally trust. IBUs are not yeah, my, like end-all, yeah. be-all of everything. Uh, so, second okay, part. we keep going. We're, yeah, we're going to keep going. This is a long one. So, Gabe's second part. Uh, he has a 240 volt, uh, 5.5 kilowatt he- heating element. It heaps from room temperature to mash temperature in 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, and I got same, same for thing. boil temp. That's great. And and I have to say, 240 in your garage is not that expensive. If we're going to talk about, you know, if you were going to run a gas line into your into your garage, 240 is going to be way cheaper, right? If you're gonna do other things like give yourself think about it this way a year worth of propane trips is probably the equivalent of the cost of adding 240 to your garage yeah i mean the the most expensive part when i did it was the gfi breaker which i will say for your benefit of your listeners get the gfi breaker it could save your life i've already popped mine twice on brew day so it's i'm glad i paid a hundred dollars just for that part but that one part is was a hundred dollars that was the most expensive part and i had it done i had the circuit installed by a licensed electrician and um it was not that expensive yeah we're talking a couple couple hundred bucks total and if you're brewing at any cadence that let's say uh, a couple times a month the amount of propane you would go through in a year would cover what you're going to do here and then you'll never buy propane again and every brew day costs you in the pennies of electricity so I would get solar power and it's free. Yeah. Which is your setup, right? So it's something where I look at the 240 is something that I agree. It's going to save you time. And it's also going to, it's just going to save you a lot of headaches and save you on propane. Uh, number three, he said, get a $20 posted scale with a remote display with a hundred pound capacity, put your kettle on it and zero out before adding water. Water is 8.34 pounds per gallon at 60 degrees and then can be easily adjusted for the actual water temperature. A pint, a pound, the world around. That's a, a quote. It's a saying. It's a, saying. Quotes. a pint's a pound, the world around. Yep. And uh, pretty close, at least for US pints. The brewed up episode reminded me of this one the scale is also very useful for figuring out how much beer ends up in the kettle after fermentation but requires a hydrometer reading so i'm actually I, can can i can i yeah, comment on right the scale ahead. here yeah i think this is brilliant i did not realize that a postage scale with a hundred pound capacity only cost twenty dollars 
um, I might get myself one of these because I use the I use a scale. I mean, just today you and I were transferring the keg, and I when I'm transferring from one keg to another, I'll usually put the keg that I'm transfering into on a scale. Not, you know, just so I can see if the numbers are going up. I know that, you know, if if the numbers stop going up, then the line is clogged or something, or maybe I'm out of gas or whatever. But like, I use this a lot for, um, I use the old weight trick a lot here, but I have a little scale, kitchen scale with like a 20 pound capacity. So it doesn't really, it's not reliable. I think this is great. I would totally do this. Yeah. I totally add that to my setup. Yeah. And, and that, so one of the things we talked about in the brewed up episode, I had, uh, I had, uh, the ladies from that podcast on the show, it, just in case you didn't listen, Aaron, uh, cause I know you don't listen to all my episodes, but the idea is that when we were on that episode, we were talking about doing markings in your keg and that like the gallon jugs don't really mean they're a gallon and how I figure out measures that are going into my kettles that don't have markings on them which mine currently does now but i think weight is going to be even better just because you know it's true right you're Mm -hmm. not you're not relying on somebody else's measure you know hey water weighs this much at this temperature it is what it is well and he he says at the end here you can do it for you know post-fermentation beer but requires a hydrometer reading so whatever your final gravity is multiply that number times your volume or whatever, or at times, you know, that or times your mass, I guess, and that'll give you your volume, right? So whatever it is, 10, 10, 1.01 times whatever mass is the, um, well, we know water's 1.00, right? So so you're just adding the, 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 the final gravity of sugar to it. And you're right. right. So you should account that. That's how you account for the, uh, the post fermentation or even the pre-fermentation, whatever. That's how you account for, for wort or beer versus water. Yeah, and, and to me, that is one of the things that is cool about weight. Uh, to me, that's also when we talk about, when people talk about trying to figure out how your kegs are empty, wham, you'll know, right? And so that, that's also kind of another hack is how much beer is left in my keg. Well, if you know how, many, how much it weighed going in, you know how much it's going to weigh coming out, right? So kind of an, another trick you have there. Uh, so number four, we have CO2 is hard to get in COVID times. I empty, I save empty kegs and use them to purge kegs that I've just filled using a jumper made with two gas connections. Clever. I, yep. Totally clever. I also tried adding just, uh, just adding sugar and water in an empty keg and letting the yeast in it produce extra CO2 and drive a keg at the beginning of the lockdown. It worked well, but I'm not sure if I do that for a beer. And uh, and I'm super worried about it oxidizing. That is, that is, that is a, I'm not, that's a, that's a totally new one. I commend you, Gabe, for your ingenuity there. Yeah, that is some good ingenuity. Making his own CO2 just to, just Just to add a sugar wash. (laughs) Add a sugar wash in a keg so he can purge kegs. That is great. Here's one thing. Uh, Yeast is actually a scrubber of oxygen. So I, I will actually say that if you have oxygen in a keg and you have yeast in a keg and you're using it to actually purge it, it will actually eat every bit of oxygen that's in there during the fermentation process and produce CO2 from it. So, Right. I think he's talking about adding it to a keg filled with air. 
right? Just residual. Yeah, yeah. He's taking he's taking it, adding some some sugar water with yeast yeah, to, to yeah. eat up. And it would actually eat all the oxygen in there as part of doing it. It would become a a oxygen-free environment. I mean, essentially that's what you're doing when you bottle, right? You're you're scrubbing all the oxygen yeah. out of the bottle. He's just doing it at a larger scale. That being said, I don't think it's the most efficient way when when you think about the price of CO2. And you know, CO2 is a little harder to come by in COVID times, but I think we're kind of past the, that part. I didn't yeah. realize it was hard to come. I'll put in a plug for Tom's Brew Shop in Lakewood, Colorado, <laughs> supplying me with CO2 for that I pay for, and I'm not getting paid to to advertise them. <laughs> yeah, but they they also have the ability to fill in house there, and so we yeah, were yeah, lucky they fill to in not house, have which to, is nice. We, yeah, we were lucky to not have much of a shortage. There was a pretty big CO2 shortage nationally just because of covid it around midsummer past that though i have a 22 like once every two years unless you have a leak all right gabe we're still on to you number five (laughs) save your yeast cakes for the next batch a bitch and also, when you buy commercial beer from your local craft brewery that's fresh, it'll prob- it's probably not filtered and probably has yeast that you can harvest. That's nice for trying out new yeast, new yeast, but you may never get to know what the yeast is. So what? It makes good beer. I, I couldn't agree more when it comes to ha- harvesting bottle drags is always a great way to try out new yeast, especially if it's a beer that you like. I think that that's how a lot of people get a hold of the the Bell's yeast specifically because they won't sell it to you. But you can, if you have like a two-hearted L, I know you can harvest the yeast out of that because it's an unfiltered beer. But there's many, many different types of yeast you can get from bottle dregs. And it's always a great experiment to have because you know it came from a brewery you love. So I, I totally agree with that. Also, just saving yeast from old batches. I've done that for multiple generations and have I've actually got as many as 10 or 12 different generations harvesting from batch after batch until I started to see a big change in in my old days of brewing. Now I just use powdered yeast, but you know, that's yeah. I'm the same way. I, I I'm assuming that uh, Gabe is doing this, you know, after the kids are in bed and he opens up a, a beer and then uh, harvest the yeast off of it late at night. Cause time is at a premium here see for me i'm i'm a lazy home brewer i don't i don't bother with um propagating my own yeast because that's one of the things that i cut out in my you know one 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 place where i decided i didn't want to invest the time so um i'm with you i buy i buy cheap dry yeast mostly but um you know if like if if yeast is hard to come by or whatever you got the time late at night and you can propagate some yeast then go for it uh, me, I'm a lousy biochemist, so I don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so funny. So now we're going to jump into number six. This is the last one, and I couldn't agree with this one more. If you're going to make an eye spindle, which is the DIY floating hydrometer, program the ESP8266 before soldering it into the board. That way, you know ahead of time if it's a bad microcontroller. So one thing I'm going to kind of stop here and point out is that the ESP8266 8266 is a microcontroller that is very inexpensive. You can buy them for about two dollars from from China. For about five dollars, you might be able to buy like five or six of them. The problem is, is that they're so cheap that the quality is on a lot of them, especially if you get the 
the the cheaper Chinese knockoff ones. And so there is a if you have a batch of five, there's probably a couple that aren't good. That's just kind of the deal. And so one of the things that he says is desoldering them is a real pain in the neck. And I personally didn't want to start over whenever it happened to me, even though I had all the extra parts. So because soldering everything else on the board took so long, next time I'd probably solder the pins onto everything, test it in in a breadboard, and then solder it to the circuit board. So I will point out here, you should always do a breadboard with any of these homebrew projects, like uh, the brew pie, the eye spindle, uh, breadboarding it out. And programming the microcontroller is always a good process to do just to make sure that all your components work. Get all of the bugs out before you go soldering it into a PCB. Uh, I couldn't agree with that more when it comes to that. I know you're not a big soldering guy, but... uh, No, I was going to say to your listeners who have no idea half of the words that you just used, buy the tilt hydrometer. (laughs) Yeah, that... And that it, also solves a lot of the problems too, because it just uh, works out of yeah. the box. If you wanna, if you want, if you wanna have the benefit of the floating hydrometer, which I find very useful, but you don't want to do the process, or you're not an engineer, uh, and you're not good with circuitry, buy the tilt hydrometer. It works great. Save, totally, you know, you spend more money, but it'll save you a lot of trouble. See, it's it's, you know. That that is also an option, but this is also homebrewing DIY. It is it DIY sure, projects right. are in our That's blood. Right. So. Oh God, forgive me. Um. <laughs> totally okay. Totally okay. Okay, <laughs> so Gabe, thank you so much for this detailed long email. But I think you hit on a lot of really good stuff here when it comes to different types of tips, tricks, and hacks. Uh, I. Thank My you favorite so much. is making your own CO2 out of sugar water. That's got to be the winner here from Gabe. <laughs> that, now, that, that's a homebrew hack if I've ever heard one. <laughs> it is definitely going out, go, going the step above when it comes to adding more, more CO2 to the system. All right. You, you got another one to read Okay, there? I got another one by email from Mike Weatherill. Mike writes, office closet brewing here. Loved last year's hacks episode. Thanks for the mentions. Well, Mike. You're back. Thanks for thanks for writing us back. Here's another hack. Instead of making your starter in a flask, just make it in your fermentation vessel. Whip it up the night before in your sanitized bucket, conical, or whatever. Save time on brew day, less chance of infection. There, you know, and there's no and you know, there's no transfer. All right, so that's um yeast starter in the fermentation vessel. I, I gotta be on I gotta be honest. They're they're I, I like this idea. It, it is a really, really good idea. The only thing that I would throw out there because people are going to come and be like, oh, I wouldn't do that. And here's what they would say. Uh, I'll play devil's advocate to that one, right? I think that all of the positives he says there are right. Hey, it's all in the same vessel. It's less chances of, of having it contaminated because you're not having to transfer from one vessel to another. But I will also say that one of the things that you want to do when making a starter is I, I want to decant off all that kind of fermented wort that's already in there without hops and, and its extract and just try to get to the yeast. And so I don't like to throw like a beer that hasn't really been through an oxygen-free process for me and then just throw it right into a batch of beer that I'm trying to start at the beginning. But that's me personally. 
I don't make a lot of starters anymore. I mainly just use dry yeast. And if I don't use dry yeast, uh, I just use the shake method to make a, a, a starter if I need to, but it's not something I do very often. But that being said, that would, I, I would say that would be the devil's advocate to that is that most people, or at least I used to decant the fermented wort from my starter so that I just kind of poured in yeast instead of like kind of halfway fermented wort with it. But well, there you go. So you got two opinions there. That's my opinion, uh, but I don't think it's a bad idea either. So, you know, whatever works okay. for you works for you. So. so Mike has another, another one here. And this one I've actually done myself. So he says hops in a hot bag suspended in your keg by plain dental floss. After the amount of days you want to dry hop, just pull the floss to lift the hops out. You don't get the grassiness of keeping them in too long. So I've actually done exactly that before, Mike. Um, same as you. And um, I even recently bought a new... I needed to replace a lid on one of my kegs and I saw on like Amazon or something, you can get one that has a little welded, um, like a hook thing on the inside of it. So that you can do exactly that. You can hang a dry hop bag uh, off of the inside of the lid. So it's just right there for you. I wouldn't recommend using any sort of minty dental floss. Um, I guess if you're making something special, you could do, try the cinnamon kind, but, uh, <laughs> Mike points out plain, plain dental floss. Yeah, I would recommend uh, sticking to that. Um, you can also kind of tie it. If you don't have a lid that has the little hook on the bottom, what I've done is I've tied it around the lid, like underneath, the, between, the, between the lid and the O-ring, but not between the O-ring and, and the body of the keg. And you can kind of you know, loop it around there so that it's, it will still hang um, and allow your keg to seal. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something that I have done myself and would recommend. I would agree with you on all of those points. And I think it's cool that there's a keg lid that is meant to suspend hops. in. I think I I've never seen that. And I think that that's a great idea. Yeah. Great. Works it's well. almost like, it's almost like people have, have tried to solve the problems homebrewers have. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to take a let's let's take a quick commercial break and okay. we'll come come right back and then we're going to jump into some of the homebrew hacks we got off of our social media and we'll do a deeper dive on those when we return. And we're back and we're going to jump right back into our homebrew hacks. I want to thank everybody who sent us emails for the homebrew hack show it was really great reading them and and they some really really great hacks in there uh I'll, all i gotta say is thank you i do want to jump into some of the ones that we've now gotten off of our social media i'm gonna start with one that i have from brian paul and this is one that we got off of facebook and brian brian says Set your kettle on a wall timer so your mash temp is there when you're when you wake up. Drill a heap of holes in a 20 liter pail. Sit your grain bag in the top like a of a of a trivet for draining and then squeeze for and, and sparging. So So it's basically a, a big colander. Yeah, like a big colander but using like a 20 liter pail instead of trying to do it through a little colander. I mean, essentially that's what I do. I I take my bag out 
and I move it straight to, I have a large colander that fits in a seven gallon bucket and covers the entire top. And then I just set my bag in there and squeeze it through the colander and it works great. If I want to sparge through it, I could, I don't sparge, but I just squeeze the crap out of my bag. I will also say the wall timer for the mash temp is a great idea. If you have a, an electric probe in it to heat up, I there there's, there's great ways like you could get if you have like a home automation system like smart things or something like that you could just get like the $30 plug that does that yeah you know what i haven't seen any like um diy hacks using smart plugs yet for home brewing stuff i'd like to see somebody come up with i I have because there's like for example in europe what they do a lot of is they actually do a lot of mashing in plastic buckets using heating wands that are electric mm-hmm. right and so you'll take like a five gallon bucket and there's like a heating wand that you can set in the bucket and it doesn't touch the bottom but it'll and and the plastic will it, you know if it's food grade plastic is actually good to about 220 degrees and so it, it's totally fine to brew in you still would brew in a kettle but you would mash in the in this with this wand and so i i've seen a lot of of different setups like that where they have like this five gallon bucket it has a a wand that just plugs into the wall and has like a dial on it and you can kind of set the temperature that way uh so it's it's definitely a, a way of of getting your strike water up to temperature and you could set it on things like a wall timer or your like smart plug and say, hey, at 4 a.m., start the start the wand and get my my strike temperature up. Then you would mash in things like maybe a cooler, right? You could do that with a cooler, and then mash in your cooler, then move it to your kettle and hit it with propane. That could be one way of dealing with it. Yeah, totally. That's yeah. a good idea. That's a, that's like a good low tech solution to like instead of the full on electric brewery system. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, what what's our next what's our next hack? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read one from Steven Socha here. He says, "Buying a brew cart helped me start brewing earlier and spend less time running around for looking for individual tools and ingredients. It makes cleanup easier, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can toss stuff into the bin. So the brew cart, and he has a picture of it here, and it looks like a uh, it's like one of those industrial wire shelving kitchen cart things that you can buy at." Um, I'm not sure. I think you can get them at like Home Depot or Ikea or something. I'm not entirely sure, but um, the brew cart base is like, it's your, your place where you have all your stuff. You know, it's like um, Fred's brew guillotine minus the uh, thing to hang your bag off of. But um, I'm going to one up Steven here a little bit because um, I use the brew cart as well, but mine is actually a uh, stripped down, uh, re, re, uh, repurposed Weber grill frame that I took all the grill parts off of, but kept like the metal frame on the wheels and just like laid down some lumber on top. And I still have, I have like my shelves and my surface and everything. Um, but yeah, I like the brew cart. I think it's a great, uh, way to, um, easily move all your stuff around, get set up, get cleaned up. Um, I'm not making 20 trips into the garage to put, you know, grab this and that. And, um, it's also like as you sort of add componentry to your system, then uh, it it kind of keeps everything in one place. So I like the brew cart. There's a great yeah. He put a great picture of it here, and uh, yeah, I use something very similar. So 
Good on yeah. you, Steven. Yeah, I, I like it. I'm a big fan of brew carts and, and not having to run around for all of your parts, right? There's a certain set of things you need in a brew day and having them all at, at hand and having a spot for them is just going to make things go smoother. And then you're not having to fuss and look for things and be like, hey, I was looking for my mm-hmm. water kit. Where did it go? It has a spot. It has a place. These are I, I know that it seems like only common knowledge for a lot of people, but if you're starting out, this is, I think, the best advice when it comes to how you organize your things is have a place for it for your brew day that it's at hand and close to your, your brew station in a way. Yeah, it helps establish certain routines. You know, you keep everything in the same place and you kind of, it, it helps over time, like over, you know, half a dozen batches, you'll really dial in just like the process of what, you know, what's where and like, when, yeah. you know, like, when I mean, do you do what, et cetera, et cetera. It really makes it efficient from a, just from a workflow process. And I actually, yeah. I, I noticed here in his picture, he actually has on his brew cart, which I think is awesome, an electric tea kettle which is brilliant because like you need you know, hot water all the time. Well, also this is an outdoor setup and I use an outdoor setup and I have, yeah, I'm, you know, I just have hose water. So like having that little kettle, it's like, Oh, you own, you need like a liter of boiling hot water there. You know, it's right there on the cart. So I like that. I might, I might take that. I might add that to my cart now. Yeah. The electric tea kettle is a great idea for more than just brewing beer. Things like, Hey, I'm making some mead. Right. Mm-hmm. And I need to dilute the honey, having an electric tea kettle to kind of dilute the honey and stir it up and do it with a little bit of water before you add the bulk of your cooler water would be a great way of helping you dissolve all of that honey really quickly, especially when you're talking about pounds and pounds of honey. Heat's going to help that. Uh, if you're if you're doing brew in a bag, having a little bit of boiling water is going to help you sparge it. If you need to sparge it a little, you, you, you feel like, hey, there's still some sugars in there you could use a tea kettle over a colander to, to sparge very easily. Right. So these are all kind of cool things that I, I think a tea kettle in itself is a hack <laughs> to be honest. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so I've got next uh, Matthew Iyer, and he says, I have a half inch thick laser cut piece of aluminum, the exact size of the flat bottom triclad kettle for amazingly heat even heat distribution it's total overkill and likely completely unnecessary <laughs> but hey i'm an engineer and this wow. is one of Slow this is one of my yes <laughs> i'm going to and i'm going to say uh, matthew this is the kind of thing i love about homebrewing right is yeah it is kind of overkill and but the fact is is that it it's things like the ingenuity that comes out of people thinking of the the things to build their process better at home, right? I mean, yeah, it's a, a triclad kettle, but adding that piece of aluminum, aluminum is a great conductor of heat, but you don't want to have an aluminum interior on your pot because you get the like blackness, right? <laughs> don't get me wrong. Aluminum pots are fine. If that's what you're using to brew beer, there's nothing wrong with it. Your beer is going to taste fine aluminum is has no issues but matthew i'm gonna make fun of your over engineering but only because i'm jealous here uh <laughs> i want i want you to come on the show and then we can maybe talk about some custom laser cut pieces for my brewery here <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i you know 
hey, if, if you can do it, do it. It's really, really cool. So uh, you got another one? Sure. Let's see what we got here. I've got, um, uh, yes, I've got one. Oh, I like this one. This one's, this is a very simple one from Jim McCall that caught my attention. He says, hang your mash paddle on the wall as a decoration. Get yourself a big 24-inch whisk. Far better. No more dough balls. You can even dump all your grain in at once. So uh, 20 big-ass whisk, I guess. Go to the baking supply store. No, Restaurant Supply has those whisks. And this is a hack that all the way back in 2013, when I was really getting into brewing a bag, that, that was something people would say is, hey, get this, get a big whisk from Restaurant Supply. They're not super expensive. They're like $10, $15 total. So is the, is 24-inch whisk, forgive, forgive me here, because I'm not a baker or a uh, restaurant person, is 24 inches like the length of the handle, right? So I'm, I'm, it's not like a 24-inch diameter of like the whisk no it's the length of the whisk (laughs) is 24 inches right so think like it's it's like it's like a two foot long whisk (laughs) and and the width is going to be you know whatever is going to be relative to that in whisk okay okay i i i I was i didn't think he was talking about like a literal ginormous whisk yeah 24 inches wide all right but 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 the cool thing is is that with that and i totally agree especially when you're with brewing a bag style brewing i like the whisk because a you've got a really fine crush generally with brewing a bag most if you if you're doing brewing a bag the, the the crush is a lot finer and so you're ability to create dough balls is is a lot more and you want to get as obviously much contact with that water to grain ratio as possible and not have it have clumps and things like that you want to really get it submerged i think with any style whether you're doing whether you're sparging or not you still want to get it all of your grains wet totally so, so I, actually to, I, I i need to follow i got a shout out to wayne ferris here on facebook who said the same thing down lower in the thread he says i use an 18 inch wire whisk to stir the mash almost instantly breaks up any clumps so yeah. that's plus two for uh wire is, whisk but, instead but it's of the same uh, it's like paddle. think about think about it this way you're making pancakes right i i always bring brewing back to food just so you guys all know is that you're making pancakes it's much better to take pancake batter and whisk it together when you're trying to get all the 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 lumps out of it versus if you have like a spatula or a large spoon you're just going to leave them behind and that's the same with 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 doing dough balls out of if you if you can whisk it together it's going to just break them up much quicker and cut through them me personally i have a mash paddle that has a lot of holes in it and allows me to really get in there and i have no problems with dough balls in it but it's because it allows enough of the the as it is I'm stirring it through my mash, it's breaking everything up, and it's actually got enough space for those dough balls to get broken up by it. So uh, a good mash paddle will also work, and that's why they have mash paddles. Is like think of it as like a big wood whisk back in the days before sure. people really had big stainless steel whisks, right? It's that's why it's so classic. Um, Mine is going to be from Sige Harden Anthony the Fourth. I okay. use a bag and a mash tun 
but I use a hot liquor tank and a pump to recirculate through a Herms coil. And the hot liquor tank, my Herms, a Herms coil and the hot liquor tank. My Herms coil is a stainless Robobrew chiller. I also recently started using a barbecue thermometer with two probes to monitor mash and hot liquor tank temperatures. See more. So, uh, sorry, let me start that over. My post was cut off there. <laughs> the thermometer and two probes to monitor mash temp and the hot liquor tank temp simultaneously with while while sitting down. The thermometer can be set to alarm alarm at specific temperatures, so I don't really have to pay close attention during the mash. So basically, he's got a hot liquor tank in his Herm system, and he's actually circulating the mash between the two vessels. And he's also got two temperature probes throughout the entire thing with alarms that'll let him know, hey, this is falling out of range. I need to add heat or not. I think that's a, a great idea. And this is a brew in a bag method in this Herm system as well. So that's cool. Brew, brew in a bag with Herms. I like it. Yep. Uh, I did something similar with the kettle rims brew in a bag where you can recirculate through a kettle. Um, same, same concept. Uh, I, yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's just, it, it's the ingenuity of it all, right? It's like, uh, it's kind of crazy how all these different systems people have are still, it, it's like whether you're a three vessel brewer, you're a brew in a bag brewer, it doesn't matter. It, it's like the ingenuity of a home brewer still gets it done. And, and our systems are kind of extensions of us. It's, it's so cool. Uh, okay, I've got I've got a couple here. They're they go together, but I've got to give a shout out to Earl Ball here, who posted like five hacks on um, one of your Facebook posts here. So we'll go we'll look at a couple of them here. So he says a uh, little callback. He says place kegs on a scale when filling closed transfers. They're full at about forty one pounds. There you go. So get yourself a twenty dollar postage scale with a hundred pound capacity. I guess right. Um, he also which is something we did today. I mean, we yeah, used a scale on a keg did. today for exactly that reason. Exactly. Conserve CO2. Attach blow off to the outline of a pre-sanitized keg and the inline of the keg to your bubbler jar. This purges the keg with CO2 from active fermentation. Interesting. I, I don't quite follow it, but I'm sure it makes sense if you actually set it up. So I'm assuming that the any sort of blow off croissant and stuff would go into your bubbler jar yep but you'd be um oh no you purge the keg okay yeah yeah and you purge the keg of co2 so basically you end up with a empty keg filled with co2 from fermentation and, and this is Clever. something we've talked about extensively on the show if you go back and listen to one of my shows with brian height specifically the 3d printed brewing episode he actually has a 3d printed lid for a jar that is made for exactly that is it's a blow off that goes into the jar comes out but it's actually a 3d printed lid for your jar that has barbs on it for it all to come in and come out so it's super clean and then okay cool. and then he just has an airlock that sits on the out of his keg to purge it and it works great brilliant 
Okay, yep. cool. And then Earl says he also he says use citric acid to passivate 304 stainless steel, 4% citric acid by weight, 140 degrees, 60 minutes. So passivating your stainless steel, that's like um restoring its ionic something or other. We I think you talked about it with uh Star Sam folks. They yeah, with, with uh, five with well. five star chemicals when they were on the show, we talked about passivating it because you can also just use straight star sand, which is also acidic. And, yeah, so this will keep to, your stainless steel nice and fresh, I believe. Yeah, it keeps it super clean and shiny. Also, uh, helps you not have a buildup of beer stone. Right, and, so, right. Prevents the which, mineralization. Which is actually a problem I am having right now with my electric brewing system is that I'm starting to get a buildup of some beer stone on it. And so what I'm going to do is run it through some acid wash to actually break that beer stone down, get it all scrubbed off, and then I'm going to passivate it with star sand and get yeah. it to just shine. So yep. yeah, pass, passivate your stainless steel, guys. It, it you is don't have to do it every sign. time, but like, you got to do it like a once a year. Do it, yeah, do it once do a it year, and it will save you from having to have really big builds up, so builds, buildups of beer stone, and it's totally worth that extra step once a year. Not a big deal and easy to do. So then the last one from Earl that I'll read is he says, don't use screw clamps on gas lines. Uh, I'm guilty of that. I use screw clamps on everything. He says they don't clamp uniformly. Use, and I'm probably going to mispronounce it, Odeker clamps. The crimpy ones, I believe yeah, they are. Yeah, they're the crimpy ones. You got to have a special tool you for it. You got to have the tool for it, but they do, they do clamp more uniformly. They do. And I use screw down clamps for everything as well just because i don't have the tool and i need to get one and i agree i when i when i first did my keyser i my one of my good friends in utah actually did beer lines for all the breweries and all the restaurants in town he he that was his his job and so he had the proper tool and came over and clamped down all of my 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 connections and I've, and I never had an issue with leaks. I will tell you once I redid my lines about three or four years later and I use screw downs, hey, you were around Aaron. I had leaks and it took me yeah. like a month to yeah. hammer them all out. So, and I went through two 20 pound tanks cause I had leaks in my CO2. I I've got them all hammered out now and I know I, everything was fixed, but it's, you know, I would agree. Uh, screw down clamps versus the Odeker clamps are there's a big difference there. I'm gonna pull up another one we have here, which is sorry, I'm sifting through all of these posts so. <laughs> Use this. So, this is from uh, Michael Kastniger, and he said, I use city hot water pressure to clean out my kegs and beer lines in one fell swoop. With the hose fitting on my laundry sink uh, to the black disconnect to my keg. So, what he's doing is he's taking the hottest water he has straight from his hot water heater, and he's basically uh, using that water pressure to clean, he, he has it going right into his disconnect on the keg, 
and then it goes right from the keg into his beer lines and then right out into a bucket. So he's like, clean the keg, clean the line all in once. So this is the old hook in your, hook your brewing equipment directly into your house plumbing. Yeah, exactly. And then just run it all through your system. Run it all through. Hey, that's, that's you know, easy. Yeah, can, for me, you, have, the, you can set it up, but it's easy. Yeah, totally. I'm not in a place to where I could do that. My kegerator is not close to any water like that. I will also say that I like to run, you know, obviously some sort of cleaner through it. I, I, between kegs, I always do a OxyClean, then Star Sand. It's almost like the same thing I use just to clean my brewery. I run through my beer lines. I also will say that I once a year try to do a caustic clean where I actually use caustic beer line cleaner. And man, you should see the stuff that comes out. It's just gross. And uh, so I, to me, it's, I, I just don't feel like water's enough. I, I, I want to run something through my beer lines just so that they're they're clean as they can be for every keg that I put on them. But that's just me. I use silicone lines, and I, I find they, they last a bit longer, but they still get some of the discoloration and stuff over time. Yeah, I use silicone lines as well. And one one good thing about silicone tubing, and, and, and we'll talk about this as a hack in itself, right? Silicone tubing versus vinyl tubing, night and day difference. First of all, silicone tubing, if you really need to clean it in a pinch, you can just boil it because it's actually totally safe to do so. And so I'm a big fan of using silicone tubing for that specific reason. Uh, You know, even for things like going from my kettle to my kegs or my fermenter, uh, going for blow off tubes, I like silicone tubing for everything versus vinyl tubing. Good, you can get it cheap on Amazon too, or reasonably cheap. Yeah, it's cheap. Uh, um, it's more expensive sh- at the home at, than at the homebrew store. Oh but, yeah, 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 yeah. I never. That's a hack. Don't don't buy uh, tubing at the homebrew store. Yeah, <laughs> buy your ingredients though. Buy ingredients, absolutely, and you know they have Keep good specialty, special good spe- specialty, um, you know, stainless steel fittings and stuff like that things you need uh, i use the stainless steel ball lock style quick disconnect fittings on my system i find that it makes everything there's a bit of a commitment up front to like you know i have to buy you have to buy enough to like have every you have to have every, everything on the same set of connectors but um once i you know if you sort of commit to it it actually makes things really easy for swapping tubing in and around um i think it really simplifies the the flow a lot so i recommend that those as well not really a hack but uh, a product that i think works really nicely for improving your efficiency um in on brew day so all right let, let's do one more each and then we'll uh wrap this show up i think Okay. Um, okay. So I've got, well, I've got a quick one here. I've got, we've got two different folks here who recommend if you're using a, uh, bo- a bucket style fermenter uh, with a spigot on the bottom to put a piece of wood underneath the front of it when it's in primary so that your 
uh, yeast sort of flocculates down away from the spigot. And then it, it's almost like using a conical at that point. You sort of made the low point below the spigot. And now you can, when you rack out of the bucket, you're not getting as much of the uh, gunk from the bottom there. You're racking cleaner beer. So you have two different followers who recommend doing that little trick. Uh, it's especially great if you do like a big healthy dry hop and um, you're not using a bag or something like that. It'll kind of help everything get away from your spigot. Well, we could use that as an example for today. You and I were transferring my latest hazy IPA. And when I dumped that keg out, it was like nuclear in color. I had, you know, <laughs> nine ounce dry hop in, in four ounce, four gallon, four and a half gallons of beer. And it was just i it was probably like a half a gallon too it was like yeah it was of, like there there the was like half in there yeah there was so much it was probably a good half a gallon i really only ended up with probably 4 gallons or 3.75 gallons left in my it transferred to my my actual keg because it was thick and full right and i could see where you're using the where you have a wider bottom leaning it back like that could help out of a keg, obviously, we used a floating dip tube, so it just goes until it hits the thick stuff, and then it just kind of stops. But uh, I can see where that would work. I've definitely seen that hack before, and and you know, curious. Never did it, but curious if it does work. Yeah, I, it's the cheaper version of the conical, that's for sure. Definitely. Uh, you have a conical, right? Your 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 blue buckets are I, well, conical, not so? a, yeah. It's it, it's it has a conical base. It's not a true conical, but I yeah, I use the SS Brewtech brew buckets, which is like the the stainless steel buckets, and it's 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 an upgraded bucket. But, you know, it's got it's got a conical base below a little racking valve, but um, it's not like a true conical style fermenter. It doesn't have like the bottom drain and the uh, pressure lid and everything like that, but uh, they they work really nicely for what I need them for, to do. So I'm happy with that. That was a good upgrade. And I've got uh, Wes Kofer here who says my wife calls it the redneck wingard, and he sent me a picture here of he's got a propane burner and he's got a really sweet kettle, like a really really nice one here. That is, uh, it, it's a brew gear with a big old Blickman uh, temp probe on front with a ball valve. And he's got, you know, a burner that's probably a 200,000 BTU burner with just all the jets under it, right? And all around it, he's got uh, cardboard and tape oh, around God. it to just kind of keep the wind off of it. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, but you know what? I will agree. A windy, day, a windy day and a propane burner is just a yeah. rough brew day. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, anything to keep the wind off of it uh, and not have to be like in your garage. So yeah, totally agree. I like your poor man's wing guard. Good time. <laughs> so I want to share one more because it's something that I'm really proud of. But this is a shameless plug for one of my hacks. Um, and I, I have to admit, this isn't exactly a homebrew hack, but it was a, uh, a hack that I think some of your listeners will, you know, maybe like and maybe use themselves using home brewing equipment. So what I did is I, I drink a lot of coffee. I drink, you know, a pot of coffee every morning. And the thing that drove me crazy every morning was having to 
pull the coffee maker out from underneath the counter so that I could then fill it up with a pitcher from the sink. And I thought through different ways to figure out how to fill the reservoir on the coffee maker from the house plumbing. And I finally figured out how to do it using the um, duo tight set, you know, the uh, duo tight fittings and the lines you can, I think they have them at more beer and a couple other places. But what I, what I did was I, I was able to tee off of my ice maker water line for my refrigerator and run it, you know, um, next into the cabinet next door and drop it down into the top of my coffee maker and there's a little inline pressure regulator so I don't blast my coffee maker with full house pressure. And then there's a little ball valve on there. So I uh, save a little, save myself a little bit of effort in the morning before I've had my first cup of coffee by just opening up a little ball valve and filling up the uh, reservoir on my coffee maker. It's been a game changer. So that's my little hack that uh, I, I hope somebody uh, gets some enjoyment out of. Uh, it's a great hack. And I will throw out there that Aaron is quite the avid coffee lover. He's roasting his own beans. He's, he's, yeah, and he even gives me beans and they're delicious. So I'm going to say, uh, he needs that cup of coffee every morning. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. So I, I, first of all, I want to thank everyone who submitted their homebrew hacks today. Uh, I, I know that every year we go through, I, I've now been homebrewing for you know a really long time in my life, and it's kind of crazy. And I feel like we go through this, this is my second year of doing the homebrew hack show, and I learn something new every year. There, there's always something out there, and you can never quite get there. And it, it's just, astonishing to me the ingenuity and the processes that when you look at brewing it's still the same you still have to make wort you still have to add yeast but the way that homebrewers go about it is so different and so variable it's it's so fun and so i i just want to thank everyone for submitting all of your different hacks and tips and tricks because it just, I feel like I learn something new every year. What, what would you say? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Simple things like the fact that a uh, scale with a hundred pound capacity can be bought for $20 or um, that you can make your own CO2 to uh, push a keg or purge a keg or whatever, you know, simple things like that. You know, these are great little tips for, yeah, you know, I was sort of joking back in like March when we all first went into lockdown, I like, when everyone was like making a run on toilet paper, I ran to the brew shop and bought like a sack of grain and a bunch of yeast. Cause my joke was that I, I needed something to barter with. Um, once I couldn't get it, once I couldn't get any more toilet paper, you know, for God knows how long. So, you know, the, I liked the, um, I like yeah, you know, how even we got some tips on like, Hey, if you can't find CO2, like here's what you can do. Or like, if you can't find, uh, you know, if you can't get fresh yeast, like here's, Here's some tips for for cultivating your own yeast here. So yeah, it's really uh, it's great to see how people are coping with uncertain times by uh, figuring out how to make their own beer more efficiently. I I couldn't agree more. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming and reading some of these cool hacks with me. And let's just 
you know, I'm drinking a beer. Are you still drinking a beer? Um, I, I switched to seltzer a little bit ago, but I, I think but I started fine. before you. That's fine. I'll, I'm going to do a virtual toast with you in these COVID times. And I'm going to say, Aaron, here's to 2021 being an amazing year as well. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, well, thank you very much, Aaron, for being on the show once again. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you next year. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. I'd like to thank Aaron for taking the time once again to come on the show and talk through all of the different homebrew hacks. I'd also like to thank all of the homebrewers who took the time to send us all of their hacks, tips and tricks, and all of the homebrewers who sent us emails. It was great reading all of them. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for us at Homebrewing DIY. Well, that's it for this week. We'll talk to you next week on Homebrew DIY. <laughs>